0: Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on May 23, 2018, focusing on early observations on business decision-making in the post-tax reform world. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, a PwC tax partner and our tax services leader, Rafael Lander, a PwC advisory partner focusing on operational consulting, Alex Velasco, a PwC tax partner focusing on value chain transformation, and Anthony Tenarello, a PwC tax partner leading our Customs International Trade Practice. This excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists focusing on operating models in light of tax reform. Have a listen.
1: With that, why don't we move over into operating models? Um Alex, I'm going to come to you first, and maybe you can sort of kick off this discussion of what we mean and where we're going with operating models, and then you can bring in Raphael and others to sort of pull through the discussion.
2: Certainly. So thinking back to the conversation so far, you know, we kind of posed that three main areas of just business decision making that's already been significantly affected by the global tax reform changes. Investment, footprint, and operating model architecture and within operating model architecture we typically mean its you know its revenue models its transaction flows its intercompany pricing all those things sort of what we loosely referring to as operating model I think um, the, the one area that um, we will see a lot of impact is transaction models you know so that's where I think a lot of companies will find themselves that you know even if they might be very similarly situated you know, Think of maybe you know, two services businesses. One um, contracts with customers you know, in the US and then perform services around the globe. And the other one might be contracting with customers with an entity located outside the US in the same business, same value proposition. Could see a vastly different you know, cost impact in part because of B-tax uh, as well as other factors. So I think that emphasis on transaction models is gonna is gonna see a lot of attention in the um, in the foreseeable future, and I think Anthony, you know, probably that's a big deal big deal to you as well from the indirect tax standpoint.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. So. You know the the customs you know customs position particularly with respect to intangibles and, and payments made by a taxpayer the importer to a to a supplier especially if it's related is as pre- presumed dutiable unless proven otherwise. So uh, you know we're going to talk a little bit more be- about uh, be- about the indirect tax and customs implications, but. You know, there's certainly an opportunity or or a risk of duty uh, increasing because customs value uh, is is likely to go up. Of course, there are levers to pull, to, you know, to to be able to uh, to manage that. But um, like for sale, for export, uh, and and the like.
4: Yeah.
1: Raphael, before we move, any comments here to make as it relates to um, just operating models and some of the discussions you're having in the business side?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So um, to Alex's earlier. We are seeing companies that have traditionally focused on products or widgets, so to speak, transition and place a a much larger emphasis on digitally enabled services. Uh, So, so for example, uh, in the medical equipment space, um, several clients of ours that have traditionally focused on capital equipment um, have placed significant investments in technology Mm -hmm. um, that now enable them to Um, uh, to gather significant amounts of data from their products, um, conduct data analytics um, with that information to enable their customers to more efficiently use their products. Um, In some cases, it enables customers to uh, better manage inventory, automate the the consumables ordering process. Uh, It enables predictive analytics. Uh, In some cases, remote diagnostics and repair. Uh, So there's many digitally enabled capabilities that our customers have have uh, have invested in, uh, and now they're faced with decisions around how to transact, uh, how to transact those newly found capabilities, where to place the coes that will ultimately manage those capabilities.
2: Yeah, exactly. And to us, you know, from the tax standpoint, questions like what is the character of income that's being earned?
4: Is this income from sale of property or is this
2: income from provision of services or license of intangibles? A lot of times it's a combination of things. And where we historically focused a lot just on overall economics of income allocation and maybe focused less on understanding, you know, different components, how they transact it. Well, certainly the new U.S. rules very much cause you to think and re-evaluate you know, what are the components and maybe even allocate you know, income to different components of the value stream because they might be treated very differently from, uh, you know, for example, BEAT perspective. Um, I think we're going to continue to find that those choices of transaction models um, will have a, just a lasting impact on um, how the companies are taxed and how efficient they are, both from income tax, withholding tax, customs and duty, you know, value-added tax compliance. That's a huge area.
1: So, Anthony, you hit yeah. on a little bit of this before, but maybe yeah. dig into what are some of the customs implications when we start talking about changing the operating model?
3: Sure. Yeah, and especially <laughs> in the in the context of beat, right? So, we were just discussing the fact that you know models are 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 changing, which actually may uh, result in you know additional service streams or or, or cost allocation, and you know the the, the question around beat is that. Um, you know customs. In order to keep payments in a non-dutiable bucket, uh, we would typically try to distance it from product and production. Um, where we're seeing that, you know, that there are models that that consider actually pushing it towards the the other direction. So there's a real uh, risk or consideration that customs value would go up, um, and that not only would it would it go up. But it could trigger a, a 1059 cap A question, so which essentially states that importers taxpayers are uh, are not supposed to take a deduction for Cogs that are that are that's greater than the declared customs value. So in instances where you know your model changes will actually initiate an overnight spike, let's say in your customs value again. Completely um, uh, possible and, and fine from a business reality perspective, but it could raise questions as to whether previous declarations were actually under declared. So, again, 1059 CAP A would then potentially trigger in the context of you uh, undervaluing your importations or overvaluing your your cogs, uh, and again, the ability for customs to be able to look back five years and question five years being the statute of limitations question whether or not previous declarations were undervalued again not not something that can't be managed right when we're talking about modeling and taking everything into consideration. <laughs> And um, and aligning, uh, and then you know with respect to you know free trade agreements, we talked a little bit about changing in sourcing how that could make or break the eligibility for whether it be NAFTA and the rules are changing for NAFTA, but pretty much any of the uh, free trade agreements that the uh, the U.S. has entered into. Um, Back to, you know, considerations of bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. or uh, even expanding your your distribution footprint, the expectation, again, is that uh, duty liability would likely uh, increase. But again, levers to pull around foreign trade zones, uh, being able to import manufacturing and bond and potentially avoid duty entirely on, on exports or invert your your classification it's um, it's a real opportunity that gets built into these um, these modelings also duty drawback in the context that there have been changes to the regulations um, coming into effect just this past February that enables uh, a broader let's say opportunity to claim refunds on duties that have been paid upon importation if something is uh, is subsequently exported so you know, a lot of, uh, you know, so where there's, where there's challenges, there's definitely opportunities. Uh, We also talk, uh, talked a little bit, right, about maybe changing the structure um, uh, where you might consider a multi-tier transaction uh, as opposed to a direct importation uh, from a from a manufacturer that, again, manageable through some valuation planning through first sale for export, which enables you to effectively take that deduction for COGS purposes at that second sale value, but claim and pay and declare duty on the first sale value should the um, uh, circumstances uh, allow for it, so a uh, lot of impact, a uh, lot of opportunity and also availability to manage risk through these changes.
4: And,
2: and maybe a couple more observations for me. You know, what I'm seeing is, well first, I think it's a really exciting time to be <laughs> indirect tax professional because you've just really been thrust in the midst of a lot of discussions. And I just learned his call, Anthony, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, curiously, like, historically, a lot of us, and our clients, too, thought, well, I'm not changing, you know, physical flows. I may not have been changing, you know, invoicing flows of products. I'm making sort of some other, you know, changes as regards to maybe income allocation or character of income. Well, a lot of those things have like very immediate and specific knock-on knock on impact on both duty ability, you know, character, as well as just trade compliance for a lot of these okay. things. But now with you know, base erosion and avoidance tax, beat is a great example of that where the exception for certain items that are cost of goods, right? Mm-hmm. That are reductions to gross income, has a very heavy interplay with you know, how those items determine from both tax method perspective as well as how they treat it for customs purposes. Right? So true. I think there's a lot of areas where indirect tax is a huge factor. And frankly, uh, we're certainly seeing it with companies organizationally. We have something working against us because a lot of times internally there's a silo, right? So you know, business might be looking at evaluating certain possibilities, but the trade compliance function might be sitting somewhere reporting to legal, for example, right? And those conversations and finance, had, right? Yeah? yeah, and that's like another big factor. Yeah?
1: yeah, Alex, one of the things I wanted to come back to you on. So w- we've laid out couple times in here the case for why domestic investment may make more sense. We've laid out some of the other criteria that need to be considered in the context of that. Certainly, the policymakers were intending to drive um, the, an environment for increased investment in the U.S., but also some of the things that we're finding is there's some unintended consequences and some unintended sort of implications of all yep. that. How are you working with companies to sort of navigate that uncertainty and work through that side? And, and any one of you feel free to answer. but.
2: I think indeed, you know, as you start to model, you realize some of the results are just not intuitive, and in fact, go contrary to what you thought. You know, the rules which were intended to do. Yeah. Um, the the approach I try to follow, you know, with my clients is number one, you know, just have a firm grasp on the business reality. Like, what is company strategy? What are they trying to do operationally? Right. To me, understanding that is like sixty percent of the game. You know, at least I know where the business is headed. Um, I think in many cases, we're finding such thing as uh, no regrets planning. You know, I think a lot of things just make a lot of sense, especially if they enable some of the business initiatives. Um, But frankly, um, Ken, what you're posing is the reason why we're not yet seeing sort of any wholesale movement in any one direction. I think anybody making big moves, at least today, ought to be like really, really comfortable with a lot of uncertainty, right? And when you think about... Legislative uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty, some of these rules may get challenged from, you know, other bodies outside the US. All those things, you, you know, you have to hedge your bets a little bit. And, and many companies are still waiting to see how the rest of the pack will move. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All right. So, guys, as we start to close up, um, as you all think about some of the business decisions that need to be made in a post-reform world, what are your key takeaways
2: for, for people? Um, maybe I'll start. So, so to me, I think the takeaway, t- takeaway number one, <clears throat> clearly, U.S. law changes, non-U.S. law changes, you know, trade developments, are very, very much geared to affect companies' business decision making. Like that, that intent is very clearly stated, and a lot of times it's profound. Yeah. Um, the second thing to me is, you know, the three areas to focus on is, and that's how we kind of organize this discussion, right? It's investments, it's footprint and it's operating, in particular, transaction models. That's where you're going to see the most impact. And then sort of that collaboration between tax and the business as early on in the process, I mean, that's where I'd probably be focusing on. Rafael? Yeah,
4: yeah I, I would agree. From a, from a footprint perspective, while we haven't seen drastic Our clients are placing, as we mentioned before, much brighter spotlight on those outside of the US structures. Um, and as they evaluate whether the business rationale, the operational rationale uh, that was the original motivator is still in place, doing that side-by-side side with our tax counterparts is, is more essential now than it has been ever before. Yeah.
3: Anthony? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's, for, for me, it's uh, recognizing the interdependencies uh, with customs and trade. Uh, get to know your, your customs and trade subject matter expert. Uh, you know, certainly... Um, uh, uh, in-house, uh, understand and, and really get your arms around data for for modeling, which customs data is not always the easiest to, uh, uh, to come by, but recognizing that there are uh, resources actually where you could secure import data directly from uh, customs through uh, through uh, through various portals. Um, and uh, be sure you align with uh, both operations and, and income tax to get the best uh, result.
1: That's great. Thanks, guys great summary.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.